Welcome to California Now, a podcast produced by Visit California. I'm Satirius Johnson. Today, we're talking to Emmy and Grammy-nominated comedian, actress, musician, Margaret Cho. I told my mother when I was 14 I was going to be a comedian, and she said, Oh, maybe it's better if you just die. Coming up, Margaret talks about her new comedy tour, Live and Livid, how being a lifelong Californian has shaped her career, and what she's most proud of. Well, I think my biggest achievement is to have ushered in incredible participation of Asian Americans in comedy. Also, we'll learn what Margaret likes to do for fun in the Golden State when she's not on stage. That's all coming up on California Now. I am very excited to introduce our guest on this episode of California Now. Margaret Cho is a five-time Emmy-nominated actress and comedian with a high-profile career that spans four decades. She was named one of Rolling Stone's 50 Best Stand-Up Comics of All Time, and she's currently in the midst of her live and livid comedy tour. Margaret, welcome to California Now. Thank you very much. So, you know, you're a lifelong Californian, born and raised in San Francisco and now based in L.A., Let's go back and start with your origin story. I mean, you've often said that growing up as a first-generation Korean-American in the Bay Area has been a source you've drawn on for much of your comedy. Can you tell us a little bit about how your early life in California shaped your career? Well, I come from a big migration of uh, Koreans who came to America in 1964. So they all came to San Francisco and um, they were all based out of the Kamnikyohe, which was the uh, Methodist Korean church in Chinatown in San Francisco. So uh, all of the recently emigrated Koreans would come there. They had their own banking system, even running out of the church called Ke. So my family is like a long time, you know, San Francisco, uh, you know, very Californian, very uh, house proud, very uh, big in the sort of idea of like Korean Americans is first generation here. So um, I grew up in San Francisco. I uh, lived in that city until about uh, 1990. And then I came to Los Angeles, although I I definitely still have my heart in San Francisco. I just played there. Um, Some of my very favorite places to play music, to play comedy, to sing, to eat, to hang out are still in San Francisco. So I love San Francisco as much as I love L.A. And we're going to get into all of that because we want to hear like your favorite haunts in both places. Before we go there, how did you get your start in comedy? I mean, I heard that you first took the stage at age 14 at a club next door to your parents' bookstore. Um, how did that go? Well, I started comedy uh, and then I was I was also in a theater class and my teacher would sign me up with my comedy partner at the time, who was Sam Rockwell, also from San Francisco. Uh, who is a very famous Oscar-winning actor now. But back then, we were a comedy duo. We were just young kids, and we were doing comedy at this place called The Other Cafe, which allowed children to do comedy. And then we couldn't be in the, the club, the nightclub, before or after our performances. We could just go on the stage, and then we could leave during our show. But that was it. So we were doing shows very early on, Um and I was seeing comedians like Robin Williams, uh, Paula Poundstone, um, 
Dana Carvey all the time. And it was a really incredible place to grow up within comedy. And I, I'm really, really grateful that I had such a, an amazing kind of like beginning in this industry. That's pretty amazing. So uh, kind of like what made you want to get up on that stage at such a young age? I mean, like, you know, why, why do you think your life went toward comedy? I really just knew that was what my job was. I would watch television and, uh, you know, I would see Richard Pryor. I would see, well, actually he was on like the VHS tapes that we'd rent, like our first VCR and we're watching Richard Pryor's comedy. But I would watch him and I recognize, oh, that's the job that I'm going to do when I'm an adult. And it really solidified when I saw Joan Rivers perform. And I saw her and I thought, well, that's my job. I just knew I it was really more of a recognition of, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do with my life, which I think is very lucky. Like, I think oftentimes in life, we really don't know what we're supposed to do. But I had a really clear understanding. Well, that's what I'm supposed to do. I just have to now convince everybody else in the world. (laughs) So um, that was really like the process of convincing people, which as a young person, oddly was easy um, because I was such a novelty. You know, somebody who's as young as I was and then really wanting to get up and go and perform in comedy clubs was just very unusual. So I was able to get the stage time that I needed to to really convince everybody that I belong there. Were your parents the hardest people to convince? <laughs> they, they were really busy. You know, they were working all the time, overtime. They were uh, they were managing, operating. They owned a bookstore on Polk Street called Paperback Traffic, which was the main uh, gay bookstore of that neighborhood. So it was a very big deal. And we would host uh, uh, signings of books by Armistead Mopen, who wrote the very famous Tales of the City, which are really legendary books up all about San Francisco, which cover gay history in the city and also the AIDS crisis, which was such a very big deal. And so my parents were incredibly busy and they didn't really have time to sort of watch what I was doing, you know. And um, so I was going out and doing comedy and um, they were really confused by it. But then I started to do television. And when I started to do television as a teenager, um, like about 17, 18, 19 years old, they were really like, oh, well, I guess this is your job. What would you say you're most proud of having accomplished as a comedian? Well, I think my biggest achievement is to have ushered in incredible participation of Asian Americans in comedy. Uh, When I was beginning, there were no Asian Americans at all doing comedy. And that I started this thing where now we see amazing people like Ali Wong and Bowen Yang, all all of these incredible people like Aquafina and Sherry Cola. Everybody looks to me as their influence. I saw her do it. That made me have the ability to do it. And that's going to be, I think, my greatest achievement and also my main source of income because I hit these people up for jobs all the time. I really am determined to ride their coattails. Oh, yeah. Hey, you planted the seeds. So, hey, why not reap it? I'm like, remember me? Remember me? (laughs) Well, I always try to make sure they mention me in every article. (laughs) 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 You you better. So it's it's very, it's really a wonderful thing. Yeah, you've done a little bit of everything in your career. You've done live comedy, TV, movies, Dancing with the Stars. You had an off-Broadway woman show. Is there anything in entertainment that you haven't done that you want to try? 
to me, it's very all encompassing. Like I always try to do different things. Like I'm doing TikTok now, which I'm really into. Like I really love this whole world of very like short, intense filmmaking that could be like 15 seconds. And, you know, you could just do it on your phone. And to me, it's really exciting. And uh, so I love anything new like that. I mean, to me, the internet is very new, which is so weird to think about. But I think of it as like, oh, it's this brand new thing that just started. But it's something that's been around a while. Actually, Yeah, it does still feel new, even though it's been around for like 30 years. Yeah. But to me, it's, it's brand new. You know, I want to rewind a little bit and get uh, to more of your California experience. So, like, you eventually made the move to L.A. as your career was taking off. I'm assuming part of your decision to move there was based on your career trajectory. But was there anything else about La La Land that drew you there? Well, I think I loved the idea of living in Hollywood. I loved punk rock. I love the idea of like the punk rock, like hardcore California, like all of these punk rock bands. I used to go see rock against Reagan shows with the dead Kennedys and black flag. And, um, you know, all of that had a real strong sort of central, uh, power locate their, their like their power came from Southern California. You know, all of those bands really sort of like came out of like Orange County and LA and they, you know, the Go-Go's were here. I love the Go-Go's just, you know, like to me, um, the experience of uh, like the 1980s, like punk rock scene was just so appealing. Um, So I wanted to come to California to be part of that. And Hollywood, like I love movies. I love old movies. I love the legend of Hollywood, whatever creates Hollywood. And I'd love to go to like all of the cemeteries. You get to go see uh, Marilyn Monroe's grave. It was just sort of a big, very, very big deal. Or go to um, what is now Hollywood forever, which you get to see all of the old movie stars graves, you know, like I love a cemetery with lots of celebrities. That's always very exciting. That's my. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's your cat. Yeah. A little shout out to your cat. She's she's she wants to put her two cents in. Yeah, she really agrees. <laughs> That's really cool. I mean, yeah, like just the whole kind of uh, Hollywood vibe and the history there. So you've been there now for decades, right? Um, what keeps you living in L.A. today? There's still so much to discover. There's still so much here, you know, and then it's always growing. Like there's, there's so much diversity and, um, you know, the food is really incredible. I'm a major foodie. I am a a chef, but also a big eater. And so for me, um, like also like just all of the different kinds of Asian food that you can get in the San Gabriel Valley and Monterey Park, as well as the incredible Armenian, uh, Lebanese food that is here uh, in my neck of the wood, which is sort of like Northeast um, Glendale and Pasadena. Like and there, there's like so much diversity there, like um, and not, not to mention all of the Latino, like step, like every kind of different um the sort of cuisine you can experience. And I'm just very into that, you know, like um, also just the, the, everybody comes through here, like whatever that's like music, that's art, that's like film, every, everything you can experience is here. So, um, and then also like uh, the Koreanness of it. I, I think like I always, as a San Francisco Korean, always thought, well, LA Koreans, they've got something else going on. And, and so much of a, a connection with LA to Seoul. 
So, um, you know, like there is the highest population of Koreans here outside of Seoul, outside of Korea. So that that's a very big deal, too. You know, Koreatown is a really important place for me. Like I, I definitely do all of my grocery shopping there. I do all of my um, restaurant hopping there. It's a very big deal. Now, I know you just performed last night in L.A. as we record this conversation. Um, how is it performing in front of your, your hometown crowd? I mean, do, do L.A. crowds, you know, have their own personality? Absolutely. And it's really the best. Like, I, I really love it. And then I'm performing at my favorite club last night, Largo, which I've been performing at Largo since the first day I came to L.A., so since the early 90s, you know, and, and Largo... Um, has been a mainstay in my uh, cultural life and in terms of doing comedy shows there. Also, it's a very big part of my music career. You know, I, I made a lot of music connections through Largo um, with the other performers that are from Largo, like John Bryan and Fiona Apple. And, um, you know, it's uh, where I've just done the majority of my singing. Um, that is just a place that I love to do comedy. I will always go back there. I have a monthly show at Largo um, that I do, uh, which is always a very big deal in LA to have like that monthly thing where people can come there and see you. So it's uh, it's a great achievement for me. Do LA audiences respond, you know, better or or differently to, to certain jokes as opposed to other audiences? Well, it's it's well, it's like you know your hometown club. You know, it's like where they will get you more than anywhere else. Like they really understand what you're trying to do, and then also if you want to do something new that's kind of outside of your comfort zone, it's a place. It's very feels very safe to do that and, you know, to sort of experiment. And if they want to go with you or they'll let you know, if they don't like it, they'll let you know too. So that's a great thing. It's a great resource to have. So to me, um, it's always really vital and very alive creatively to be able to perform in Los Angeles. Your job obviously involves a lot of travel, it's fair to say. Um, Can you recall for us any memorable California-specific tours that you've done over the years? I mean, have you played all over the state? I played all over the state, and it's very, it's it's really different everywhere you go. Um, you know, whether that's kind of just like going to San Diego or like going in between. Um, my parents live in Irvine, so I've spent a lot of time there. You know, going um, this different sort of like atmosphere, the different kinds of people, the different kinds of food. You know, it's it's always really uh, something that I appreciate. What I didn't really understand even is how incredibly wealthy some of California is because of tech. You know, I just did a show in uh, Rohnert Park and um, it was at a casino, which was like really fancy. It was like being in the, it was like Monte Carlo or something. Rohnert Park and some of these places like around Silicon Valley, it's like Monaco. You know, how incredibly lavish and beautiful and like these facilities are just all like automated. Like to me, it's like so miraculous that you you could go into a room and the lights will go on like that. Like I'm like so blown away by I'm such a hillbilly, like sometimes like technical, technologically, like not advanced. Like I don't have a smart home at all. Like I can't even comprehend anything like that. But it's so uh it's so gourmet, so luxe. Um, but yeah, it, it, it seems like we've turned ourselves into uh, Monaco. 
Are there, I mean, I mean, I know like Largo plays a huge role uh, for you, but are there any like other venues in California, maybe outside of LA that maybe hold a special place in your heart or, or, or were the scene of some of your most memorable moments maybe? Well, I love San Francisco. Like I love, um, uh, you know, I did the show uh, last week, uh, which was a big music show with Kyle McLaughlin. We were doing all of the music from uh, Twin Peaks and um, he's incredible too. What an icon. And he was like playing guitar and stuff, you know, we're just sort of doing other things, you know, and I'm like singing. And so we did a big show at the Great American Music Hall in San Francisco, which is an incredible venue. And I think like right now their their odd specialty is like artists who are known for one thing going to do something else. So the day after we were doing our show, it was uh, Michael Shannon doing all of the so- REM songs. So it's like a very different experience, but I, I really love that venue and I've been going to that venue since I was a kid. What, what's the comedy club scene like overall in California? I mean, can you describe it for someone outside of the state who may be coming to visit and looking to go to a show? Oh, well, you're so lucky to go to a show, especially at a club like Largo or someplace like uh, the Comedy Store. So I'll do a, a show at the Comedy Store and the other people on my bill are people like uh, Sebastian, you know, uh, Tiffany Haddish, um, Arsenio Hall, uh, Eliza Schlesinger. Um, you'll see only heavy hitters, you know, because everybody comes to these clubs on a, just a weeknight just to work out new material. So we're all out there every night doing shows. So, you know, it's really not unusual to see the absolute biggest stars in comedy. You can show up at a show that doesn't have like a famous name on the marquee. And then the next thing you know, a famous name is up on stage doing their new stuff. Every single person is is a famous, you know, it's like a, it's a really incredible thing. So and that's it, without exception, any night that you want to, you know, in L.A. and San Francisco is the same way. Too. You have the ability to just see anybody. And, and that's a really incredible thing. So, uh, you know, if you're coming to California, if you're coming to L.A., definitely just just take a chance. Go out on um, any night and go see comedy at, at one of these clubs and you're going to see somebody great. You mentioned like one of your proudest accomplishments is kind of your role in advocating for diversity and representation, um, both inside and outside of the industry. Would you say that California contributes to the cause of expanding that? I mean, have you seen positive things happening here? Absolutely. I mean, California is so progressive and, you know, not necessarily politically. I mean, politically, of course, without, it goes without saying that's politically progressive, but then there's also like progressive in, in thinking about art and thinking about who belongs in art and what is art and what can we do and how can we expand this idea? You know, like that there's so much that I've learned, certainly from the gay community too, you know, the gay community of San Francisco kind of expanding out into the rest of the world, you know, and this idea of drag and this idea of performance and, um, you know, that that visibility is so vital. So for me, um, my queerness has always been a big part of the idea of being from San Francisco. And like if you think about gay pride parades in San Francisco, that's a whole week. It's not just a day. You know, it's like every day there's a different emphasis, whether it's the 
the Dyke March or the Trans Community Day or whatever it is. It's so much about this coming together of a huge community. So I, I really think the the gay community in San Francisco has really sort of taught me about diversity and this idea of opening up my mind to different types of people. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's talk about your current tour, Live and Livid. Um, what can audiences expect when they come to see you? Well, it's a lot of fun and celebrating 40 years of doing stand-up comedy and, and also, you know, this e- emergence of finally being able to go back out on the road again after being locked down for such a long time. And so I think that everybody is so excited to go see shows. We're so excited to participate in shows. So for me, it's like a really big celebration. And, um, you know, it's also like just trying to kind of like make sense of this idea that we're we're dealing with a a world that is somehow turned against drag queens. And so it's a very uh, solemn, protective, sense of like trying to protect the rights of drag queens like it's a very big deal for me but also uh to have fun is that is that part of like the livid part of the show like you just have this uh, this rage yeah being super mad but also having fun with it you know and i think it's also like kind of trying to make sense of my age you know i just turned 55 which is the youngest an old person can be weird (laughs) thing to be i hear you i hear you yeah it's so weird weird to be old but also to know like there's still a a way to be vital a way to be alive i think people want to know like what's your favorite thing to do after a show like where do you go how do you unwind i love eating i mean like (laughs) to me it's always going to be about food and um you know like uh anything that's open late anything that's also very like special specialized experience like my favorite thing of late has been omokase, and it's a specific kind of omokase, like a. So, what's omokase for people who don't know? It's like a what's when a sushi chef just feeds you, and they decide what you're going to eat, and um, they make their sushi like it's just it's it's a lot of different things. It's like what they their training is in, but also what's good at the market. Yeah, so it's okay. a very like specialized meal. And it's also just like, a, it's so, it's sushi is so interesting, but because it's so artfully created by somebody's hand and it's basically one bite. It's almost like, a, it's like a tasting menu, it sounds like. Yeah, basically. it is. It's a tasting menu and everything is just sort of created in bites and it's one bite at a time made by one person to, you know, what for specifically for you. And uh, so the best omakase, which is incredible too, because it's discount omakase. Really? Usually omakase costs like a lot of money. Like you're, you're putting down a few hundred dollars. This omakase, it's $125, which is the cheapest omakase you can get. And it's really good. It's actually the best in the world, I think, huh. outside of Tokyo. And okay. And never to scope. And it's called On. A-N. And it's in Japan Center, uh, which is in Japantown. So it's in uh, one of the buildings. It's like the Japan Japantown has like this sort of like peace plaza and it's like a mall full of Japanese restaurants. But this one is it's only um, you just you have to text them and they'll give you a seat. And oh, okay. uh, so you could, if you, you text them on, you could look up their menu. It's on On Sushi, A-N, Sushi in San Francisco. And then you text them and they'll text you back whether they can accommodate you. 
Oh, that's pretty amazing. And uh, <laughs> then you eat. It, it is so incredible. Uh, what makes it so incredible? Because it's just like the the chef, this sushi chef. He is just, it's like Jiro Dreams of Sushi, the movie. He's like such a genius, you know, and he's incorporating what's great in the in the market, but also it's kind of humble too. So it's it's not like super fancy. It's not like super rare ingredients. It's not things that are just like really out there. It's just so, so delicious. And um, it's so emotional. Whenever I go and I eat there, like I, I feel like I'm going to cry because it's just so good. So I, I really, if anybody loves omakase in there in San Francisco, I really recommend this place. And it's just it takes a little bit of effort because it's a tiny, it's, you know, they only can do maybe 12 seats a night or something. Like it's very limited and very small, but it's so good that you just, I mean, there's no comparison. I mean, either that or just go to Tokyo. That sounds amazing. Any other any other places or ways to unwind after a show? If you can't make it there, um, you know, L.A. is always really incredible. Like, I love any kind of uh, late night kind of like Korean barbecue there. Like any that is like always really good. You know, Koreatown is always really up for anything. I mean, I I definitely I think. I, I, there's some places that are 24 hours, which I love a 24 hour anything. Um, there's 24 hour uh, BCD tofu. There's a few locations. It's a chain, and that's in Koreatown. There's a there's and there there are actually quite a few of them all over California, and they're in Korea too. And you can buy their uh, sun tofu sundubu package in um, Korean markets, so you can get it like anywhere, but. Their restaurants are open 24 hours and they have everything. And I really love it. I think they're just so good. Um, I don't want to compare it to Denny's, but it's not it's not unlike that. Like it's not unlike an IHOP, but it's it's so delicious. I actually think IHOP is delicious too, but it's um, very, uh, it, it's always like a very diverse menu of Korean food. Lots of stuff, kind of like in the Cheesecake Factory, like you get sort of the booklet menu. Right. Oh, that's it's funny. so good. It's so good. And it's so so great that it's open 24 hours. I mean, for somebody on your schedule, right? I mean, you. it's nice to have access to that stuff. Yeah, because sometimes you need it. Sometimes you need that yellow croaker fried <laughs> like within an inch of, the, you know, its life in your life. You need the whole fish um, fried and then you can you can begin your meal. But I, I do love the 24 hour aspect of it. Also, it's it's popping. I mean, sometimes people who have this have like like your schedule, especially when you're on tour, you know, you're kind of maybe sleeping late during the day, you're active at night, and then you're off work like after midnight, and you know, you can feel isolated. So you know, you want to meet your other kind of overnight peeps, right? Yeah, you want to have that energy. You want to have a sense of the, of the rest of the world being alive, and you can definitely get that at places like BCD Tofu. Um, or if you're feeling like a deli vibe, you would go to Cantor's, which is on uh, Fairfax, which is another legendary kind of 24-hour jam. I don't know if they still do 24 hours. It's, it's sort of like different after the pandemic, but um, BCD certainly does. They, they're like, you know, always going to be open. Now, now, you're slated to be on tour through May, right? That's right. 
Right. Okay. So do you have plans to extend it maybe, or or will you be moving on to the next thing? I think so. I mean, I always want to extend it. Um, I always want to keep going. And, you know, like I'm always on tour in some capacity. So yeah, for sure. Like I also think I, I may do more on the theater side. Like I, I'm working on a play that I wrote and I just uh, finished a, a sort of a short run of the readings of that in New York last two weeks ago. So that'll be um, something that'll come up soon too. And you're guest starring on Amy Schumer's sitcom, right? Like yes, here. on um, Life and Beth, which is a beautiful show. So that's really great. That's that's really cool. So you're, you're keeping busy, yes. definitely. Yes. <laughs> so Margaret, when you're not on stage or on tour or filming, like what do you like to do for fun in LA? Well, I walk my dog. Uh, she is a high energy, beautiful little chihuahua. So we just actually went for a walk in the park, which is great. It's not raining anymore, so we can walk. Um, it's really beautiful out. Um, and uh, I go to the cat show. I have many cats. So I definitely am very interested um, in the cat show. <laughs> There's a cat show every couple of months at the, the Glendale. Um, it's a... Uh, a community um, auditorium. Okay. And so I go. To, I definitely go every time they have it. <laughs> the cat show is really. Wait, now are you showing your cat? Or are you just kind of like checking no. out the cat merchandise? No, I'm checking out all of the cats who are competing. We're very. There's a couple of cats that I'm really. I'm really impressed by. And they've won all of the best in show awards. I don't. I'm. I'm a little nervous to show my cats because my cats are kind of special needs. I mean, because I don't know if they're eligible because one of them has a, um, a broken leg. So it, it healed oddly. She sticks it out. It's a very off. She's, you know, I don't think she's eligible, but, and she's off also, you heard her earlier. Yes. Yes. She's the most beautiful though. So she would win if she didn't have these little bit of flaws. They're very particular at the cat show. You can't oh, yeah. have, um, any- just like at the dog shows they're yeah, yeah they're pretty, they're pretty, specific and what they're looking for. Yes. So I, I always think, oh, maybe, but, you know, they are they are beautiful cats regardless, but I just love to see the cats anyway. So, and when you get back to the Bay Area, what do you like to do there? Like when you go back for a visit to have fun? Well, I love to just hang out. Like I love to just go eat and, and have coffee at like, a, you know, Tartine. I, I love a morning bun at Tartine, which is like, I really buy into the Tartine empire. I have the cookbook. Like, I'm just really like, I'm such a brand supporter. Like, but they, but it's a, they really do. They do make some good bread and they do make some good morning buns. Like Tartine is really a special bakery. So that, that to me is really a, a very unique experience. If you can go to Tartine, like they have their breads now all over Whole Foods, but if you can go to the source, it's like church. It's like bread church. It's really good. So that I love. Um, I love going to Hate Street and just walking around. Like I love shopping there. To me, um, Hate Street has the best vintage shopping. Like I love vintage clothes. I only wear vintage or secondhand or uh, repurposed uh, vintage or um, kind of up upcycled things. Like I really try to lessen my imprint on um the the planet in terms of like uh clothing so everything i wear is vintage some or somehow uh upcycled so that's that's my passion so san francisco is an amazing vintage marketplace and hate street is the center of that 
So, Margaret, you know, you've traveled all over the state, so you are kind of like, you know, the perfect person to ask. Um, like, if you wanted to, to put together kind of like a dream California road trip, you know, just just for your just for fun, what would you do? I think what a great trip is is going to San Francisco and driving on the 101 because it's actually mm-hmm. quite a beautiful drive. As you're going along the coast and it's it's really scenic and it's it's really lovely. Or I I actually like the five drive because then you can stop at Pea Soup Anderson's, although it's not there anymore. Um, <laughs> I heard it closed, which to me is incredibly tragic because the the pea soup is really. I never want pea soup unless it's actually from the restaurant. When you can go with, they have the iconic windmill. It's kind of the halfway point between, um, on the five, between L.A. and San Francisco. And you can stop. Um, and it's like really, I think it's a little bit past Kettleman City. But you can stop and have the pea soup. So now the pea soup manager is not there anymore. I'm not sure. Maybe you can make it and bring it and then just eat it. <laughs> oh, in the yeah. middle. I'm not sure exactly what you would do. Um I'm also not too, like, I'm not too fancy. I'll have a gas station hot dog. Like, I love Mm -hmm. a gas station hot dog. I love, um, I love a combos. I love. (laughs) uh, Oh, you mean those little snack food combos? Yeah, like the pretzel that has pink. Okay, yeah. (laughs) I love, you know, any kind of chips. I mean, I'm definitely into a Doritos whatever. So (laughs) I do love, like, uh, you know, a convenience store meal. Um, so, you know, the five to me is a fun, a fun drive too. You know, no, normally at the end of an interview, we ask uh, our special guests to take our California questionnaire where we toss a dozen questions about your Golden State experience at your rapid fire, but you've actually already taken our California questionnaire. So we're not going to make you do it again. But before we let you go, I do want to ask you to revisit a question or two. All right. So we asked you back then to decree an official state culinary experience. And you said it was Musso and Frank Grill in Hollywood, where you went with Quentin Tarantino a lot in the 90s. Is that still your first pick for an official California culinary must do? Absolutely. You know, Musso and Frank, I just went there for my birthday in December. They are so it is so it's like a time machine. Like mm-hmm. yeah, describe back. it for people who've never seen it or been there. Um, it's been it's a restaurant. I think it's been open for 125 years or something, and it's on Hollywood Boulevard, and it is uh, so classy. It's a steakhouse basically, but all of the wooden booths contain within it like the, all of the stories of like you know the old movie stars. You can really almost feel the history in the booths and. You know, it's a it's a great also culinary experience. It's a great steakhouse. So they have an incredible like, uh, you know, just in a menu of the, those classics, whatever that's, you know, the the wonderful porterhouse steak or the ribeye, but also lobster or um, cream spinach, whatever you fancy. It's it's really a wonderful place to get uh, a great sort of protein um, kind of meal. Um but they have a, a, a beautiful bar. They have a beautiful uh, menu. And you're going to see movie stars, you know, everybody and anybody. But they're all sort of in their booths. And I would go in the 90s with Quentin Tarantino and he would take me in his big red convertible. And it was like, you know, this was right after um, during award season, you know, right after Pulp Fiction had come out. You know, but before it had won all the awards. So we were, he was like a god. I mean, he's still like a god, you know, like if you go out with him, he's still like in California or Beverly Hills or something. He's just like this. Uh, it's so weird how 
people look at show business and it, it contains within it these almost supernatural powers. And mm. when you're around somebody like that, you really see how doors magically open. It's, it's really this incredible thing. But um, it, Musso and Franks to me is the encapsulation of that. It is these red leather booths, the table side service that, that is just so unique. Um, you know, the servers are really take their job seriously. And, and these are like lifelong careers that they have. Right. So it's an incredible experience, culinary experience, but also like so the service, it's unmatched. You can't get service like that anywhere in, in the world. Um, right. But yeah, I, I really recommend it. It's a great sort of touristy kind of thing. Um, but also great if you're uh, somebody who lives in a, in California and you haven't had that experience. Really, it is it is quite something. So Musso and Franks, you know, it's it's very different. It's very American. It's very classic. It's very Hollywood. Um, you feel like Joan Crawford or Betty Davis or or Marilyn Monroe, uh, and you could live that out. Or Humphrey Bogart, you know, you can live that out there. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely on my list of things to do. Absolutely, it's so important. Then we also asked you about your greatest California love. Um, you said it was hands down your community in Los Angeles. Um, does that still hold true today? Absolutely. I love L.A. I will always live in Los Angeles. I've always wanted to live here. Although I'm from San Francisco, I will always love Los Angeles. Um, there's an odd rivalry between the cities. I don't know why it doesn't need to exist because we should love each other. We, you know, we live in the best state and we are the both the best cities. I got a bonus question for you. Okay. And that's for your cats, actually. What do you think your cats love most about California? I think my cats love the sun. I think that they love that it's sunny and um, they they have a catio. So they are usually outside um, in the catio. But it's <laughs> the well, catio. The catio, they're well protected from um, the sun because they're sphinx cats. So they are uh, the, the, it's covered with they're a... Careless. Uh, yes. So it's covered with a uh, UV screen, so they never get sunburned, but they can also enjoy the warmth of the sun and be out there. Um, they have, it's built around the palm trees, so they can actually climb the real trees. Also, all the neighborhood cats come and sit outside the catio because they want to get in, but they can't. Uh, <laughs> It's like it's like an exclusive nightclub or something over there. It is. It's very exclusive <laughs> for my cats only. Oh, that's so funny. That is so great. Margaret, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for joining us here on California Now. Thank you. Margaret Cho is a five-time Grammy-nominated comedian and actress. To learn about her live and livid tour dates and information, visit MargaretCho.com. This is California Now. Thank you for listening to California Now. We hope to see you in the Golden State soon. This podcast is produced by Visit California. I'm your host, Satirius Johnson. Our producer is Kate Eppelboim. Jessica Marshall is our technical lead. John Godfrey is our editorial director. And the theme song is by Aaron Taos. Additional music by Casey. You can find our show on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're considering a trip to the Golden State, be sure to order your copy of the all-new and entirely free 2024 California Visitor's Guide. The 196-page magazine features an exclusive interview with cover star Zoe Deschanel and is absolutely loaded with travel tips and insights for your next Golden State getaway. Order your free copy today at visitcalifornia.com.